weekly episode of D20 Dudes. It's going to be D20 Dude this week. Unfortunately, we had a small scheduling conflict, and actually, it's going to be me. We're going to get to know each other really well, just a little one-on-one time. It's going to be very intimate, very soft. I'm excited. I hope you are, too. You know, we haven't gotten together in a while. I've been missing you. You haven't returned my calls. But it's okay. I still care. So anyway, this week's episode, we're going to be focusing on ambiance in tabletop. Uh, Originally, it was structured more as the idea of sound in ambiance, sort of creating the environment musically. But I really feel like to expand on it in in a better way without just getting off topic over and over again, it would be better to expand it to the five senses, just have a very interesting episode with several fun ideas, several fun concepts, interesting ways you can blend in the senses around the table to bring focus more completely into the table and how ambiance really helps in that way. When I say ambiance, ambiance is essentially just the level of immersion created through the mood in the surrounding environment. Um, Like if we were to talk about music, for example, ambient music is not the kind of music that's going to have structure, bridge, chorus, refrain, anything like that. It's not even going to be like classical music. Uh, Ambient music is specifically to set a desired tone, and it's more of wallpaper just to create an overarching feeling. So I'm going to be talking about things you can do um, through the five senses, we'll go through each of them individually, and how, like, these things that you can do that will just really enhance the whole experience for your table, okay? So, to kick it off, I think we're just going to hammer a real easy one, uh, taste. Immediate, simple, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, food is delicious, we all love it, and tabletop snacks are legendary, we all know they are. Uh, If I have to say Funyuns and Mountain Dew, I'm sure everybody else already had that same joke immediately. I know half of you did at least. It's the classic. You know, you get the Doritos, you got the Soda Pops, you got the Kroger Run, or whatever your local supermarket is, Publix, wherever you are. Uh, Right before you bring it all back in big old sacks for everybody to snack on, munch on, brownies, chips, cookies, all that fun stuff. Um, But if you wanted to have a sense of immersion at the table quick, easy way to do it is, of course, through the party platter for everyone gathered. Uh, Literally a party platter for your party. So let's say uh, I'm going to use a couple of examples that I've had in the past. One of my favorites immediately being a pirate campaign. Pirate campaigns are very classic, very simple, very fun seafaring adventures. But obviously, in classic history, uh, traveling the ocean is a miserable process. Not particularly thrilling, very, very horrid in terms of resource management. Uh, I mean, classically, you know of uh, biscuits covered in worms and all these other dark, evil things. I wouldn't recommend making your table eat maggots. But uh, hardtack, if you aren't familiar with it, is essentially a saltine before the concept of a saltine could be made in a press. But it is very literal, uh, just flour, water, salt, bake it. There you go. Crackers to go. A little thicker, not quite well as well shaped or as easily shaped, but hardtack is an old reliable that would sustain people for months and months. Um, Dried meats such as jerky, 
uh, since you can't really have pemmican uh, in your table. I mean, I guess you could, but it would be a belabored process. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, of course, various seeds, nuts. Um, you could have fruits to begin. Uh, obviously, you could just bring those every week if you wanted to. Orange slices, all that sort of delicious stuff. Um, but really sort of just basing that platter is always so important. Um, and for example, you're not that interested in having just water. You still want to have your sodas and things, of course. That's perfectly fine. Um, ales, if you are going to have a fun Saturday night, Sunday night, Friday night, whatever you do. Uh, the ales, like if you want to bring a six-pack or any of that, that's classic fun. Um, but if you can't do that sort of thing, there is always, of course, uh, ginger uh, ginger ale. There's root beer. There's just 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 a slight slight turn, you know, something a little off. Just water and Coca Cola. Just anything to kind of break that basic routine. Um, classically, some of my favorites in the past were when we would gather. It was very uh, old school. It was uh, you know you'd buy the big block of cheese and you'd cube it all up and you'd serve it with a various assorted like sliced. Uh, like sliced sections of meat, like a summer sausage, deer sausage, uh, pepperoni, I suppose you could do that, salamis, things like that. Um, they would be served with uh, nuts, grapes, basic bread with butter, um, just very routine, kind of classic things. And then, of course, there were always like fun baked treats, such as, uh, I mean, and these are things you can even find on Google, quick, easy. Uh, classic, like, uh, honey oat cakes, which are an old Viking recipe and are outstanding. Cannot recommend them enough. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure the world's first French toast is over. It's, it's literally about 1,600 years old in a recorded book, so you can do some pretty neat things, too. People were very interesting back in the day on how they could reuse every little piece of food and how many fun, delicious food items were created just out of necessity. So turning down your menu... Always a very inviting and fun process. Uh, it sounds very simple, and it is, but it's a great way immediately to sort of shift the tone and kind of rework the focus. One of my favorite things is if you're going to uh, know in advance what your session is going to be for the day. Like, we're going to meet a high-ranking official at a local governor's house. So we will not be eating pub food. We will be dining a little finer today. So it's very just in accordance to bring things like uh, rotisserie chicken that you can pull or you can just serve directly. Um, if you won't be having wine, uh, wine glasses you can buy in most places very cheap. A set of four for $5 I've seen numerous times. Don't be afraid to get the plastic. You don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be crystal. But doing that, oh, you don't want to have drinks tonight, or maybe you're just not a drinker in general. That's perfectly acceptable. Uh, of course, just grape juice, um, a number of alternatives. Uh, it's just more of the celebration of the occasion, and setting the table accordingly is exactly what you want to achieve. If you don't want to have too much metagame, versus what's happening directly with everyone there, then I think that food is such a direct process to get that going, and it's so simple, because you're already going to have snacks, almost guaranteed anyway. 
Can't recommend that enough. Uh, immediately moving on to Touch. Touch is an interesting one. So Touch, immediately you would want to think about, uh, well, I can handle my miniatures or I have my paper directly in front of me. Touch, I think, can be something much more interesting than people realize. Um, one of my favorite examples that was ever given, and this will is an example I can use for a couple of them, but uh, Dylan, to magnificent reception, uh, one time created handmade letters for every character at the table. Every character at the table's letter was personalized, and it was sealed with wax and a soft ribbon. All of this was extremely affordable from uh, our local craft store is Hobby Lobby. I'm sure you can find it at most craft stores. Stamps are not hard to come by. Neither is a wax block, and after that, it is very easy to have a bic, honestly. You just need to nice have a nice pooled uh, collection of hot melted wax, and then you can press pretty quickly and accordingly. Um, but he actually was able to age every letter with a soft burning method he had found with a very quick Google search. So handling those and the process of breaking the seal on the envelope and undoing the ribbon and unfurling it and receiving all of this incredible delivery direct to the player was magnificent. And I would recommend it for any party. Another big thing, and this is something uh, I experienced with my first party, and I've gone on record saying before these are very like classic, classic D&D players. It was 3.5, and these guys were hardcore. Every rule regulation, I mean, they knew it down to the appendices of those books. Um, they would be very direct in how they would want to handle at the table, always in character, always playing forward, never broke it. And it was a hard mentality to understand for me at first, but a big level of that immersion um, was the fact that a couple of people um, were actually tobacco users. And when they would step outside to uh, smoke, they would never use their cigarettes. They would always use classic-looking pipes of some kind. They would unfurl bags of tobacco, grind them up, put them into the pipe, and would smoke them just very classically, accordingly, tenderly, conversate in character the entire time. Um, seeing that action was always just incredibly fascinating to me. Uh, it goes with taste in a sense too, but also just sort of the direct handling of their property. They were able to blend it into a more classic method that was fascinating to me. Um, perhaps one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, and it's not something that I got to do for long term, but it's something that I did immensely enjoy, was the concept of having um, gear slash totems. So I got to experience the totem. I did not get to experience the gear, but essentially every character, because our campaign had involved us working for uh, basically a collective group of just, I, I don't know what you would call us, just ragtags thrown together in a gladiatorial arena concept. And we were just the decided unit 
there was a feeling of survival and then it became something grander. The major point was um, we had handmade totems uh, that represented our status in the gladiatorial arena. And whenever we would arrive for the weekly session, uh, they were, like, some people had made necklaces. Um, mine was actually a large uh, wood carving that I had uh, chiseled out and painted. And I always had it uh, essentially with me. The idea was that it was pinned as a concept of a, of a, a pin on my cloak. So I always had it directly in front of me at the table. Um, but people were able to create these things that made representations of who they were, both in status and at a personal level. And I thought that was magnificent because it did became it did become a very uniting factor among many of us as players that I just was completely swept away by uh, over time. You know that that thing is still very special to me, and I still hold on to it. Um, one other thing. Uh, is gear. And gear, I'm not saying that you have to go full cosplay, and I'm not even recommending that you go full LARP. But what I am saying is, if you have something in your hand, that thing that you can clutch, grip, or grind into is so... In an instinctual level, it reaches a player in such a fascinating way. You know, classically, because these games require a lot of mental concentration, a lot of diversion of your personality into this character idea, uh, it's a draining process to play these games. They're very fun, they're very relaxing, but it's not so easy to always just take that switch. Um, a classic trick that I became very aware of uh, for public speaking and for numerous events in my life, uh, competitions and things, or if you can't focus, if you're having trouble getting your mind to be where it needs to be, then take your hand, touch the wall, touch your chair, touch the most interesting surface that your fingers can feel, and you just feel that surface as intently as you can so that your brain can anchor down into what it needs to see at this immediate second. And that very idea translates magnificently into something like your gear. Uh, you don't have to have a full sword that you bought from a convention. You don't have to have even a wooden training sword or just a fun... It can be as simple a concept as a circular block of wood uh, with leather straps around it that represent the hilt of your sword. But the idea is that your character and you, when approaching combat, can take this thing in your hand. You can grip it. You can twist it. You can feel the bindings in your fingers. And it will completely center you as a player into the moment that you want to be in as immensely as you, like, as immensely as you can be. You want to be one-for-one one with that exact situation where you are. And if you're in a campaign that's really trying to keep pace, keep moving, being grounded like that, having an anchor is a great bridge for you as a player to get through to your character on the table. And so... That was probably the one I was, when I was kind of coming up with my concepts, what I wanted to talk about. 
for this episode. That's the one I think that I see so rarely. In fact, only once in my life, and I imagine for many listeners, never. And it's, it's the one that I would communicate the most, is that concept of a totem uh, to represent gear or like an anchor of your character is, it cannot be overstated just how wonderful it is at pulling you in at a minimum investment of cost, at a minimum investment of time and skill. I don't demand that people come with these ornate things. I never would. Just something that can allow you to feel out your presence. It, it's so special when you can do that sort of thing. Um, and of course, classically, I've seen many people, I'm sure you've seen them before, uh, you can find recipes for mana potions online. Very simply, they basically taste like Kool-Aid, but you can purchase for next to nothing um, simple glass vials with corks, wash them out, and you can put these sorts of things in them. You can uh, just just find these interesting ways to bring what's in your mind to the table that you can physically handle, and the cool touch of the glass vial that you can uncork, or the hard grip of the leather straps on the hilt of your sword, or even if it is a fine uh, wand or some other catalyst that you as a magic user use, or if you have a thick book that you like to keep with you. Maybe it's like an old leathery one. Even if it's just a collection of old Grimm's fairy tales or something that you bought from Barnes & Nobles for $20, that book that you can grip and hold and carry in its weight, that weight is still good. So touch, fascinating, can't recommend that you find that bridge enough. It, it's just so valuable. The next one that we'll be shifting over to will be sight. Sight, very simple uh, answer is, of course, the miniatures, what's on the table. But that's another episode. And again, that's great for the immersion on the table, but we want to establish ambience outside of the table. We want to enclose the area around us. So when it comes to sight, uh, I mentioned before that Dylan had the letters that he had made for us as a party, and those letters were magnificent. Being able to read them was magnificent. I think that that's a great establishing way to do it. But sight can be a lot of sort of things. Obviously, mood lighting is an immediate one as well. Uh, if it's a bright, sunny, beautiful day, it never hurts to, uh, if you're on a seafaring adventure, to shift your party to a picnic table outside at your local park, uh, assuming that the weather is okay for that sort of thing. Uh, if you have a scene of intensity, or particularly like, you know, it is spooktober, and if you have a particularly spooktacular thing planned for your party, it never hurts just to turn those lights out. Simple as that. And being able to shift the lighting in I think this is probably the biggest one for sight, really, would always come down to the mood lighting. Because with the lighting, um, of course, you can go to classic candlesticks. Um, in my first campaign, it was a traditional oil lantern, which was crazy. I'd never even seen one in my life before that point, at least one that actually still functioned. And to do that and then to take walks in his promenade out back, while he was guiding the path for the players uh, for these intense conversations with very important NPCs. Wow, what a thing to do. Um, 
this is something that I would also, it's not part of the five senses necessarily, it's just one of those things that uh, you can do. But location is incredibly important. Um, of course, with sight, it comes down to the mood lighting, but this this accounts for everything. The sights, the sounds, the smells, the touch, all that stuff. Where you choose to host it can be as critical as anything else, and it never hurts to mix things up or to take breaks into new environments for new and interesting ways to engage the players. I, I just think that those late-night walks with the lantern leading us out had such a distinct effect on me when I couldn't see the way. And, yeah, I mean, to see them lit up at night and, again, still in character was just such a marvelous experience in that way. Um, that I needed it to be to anchor my love for this game. So I really, truly do recommend uh, engaging the location as well. With sight, it tethers into that, as I've said a couple times now, but being able to bring direct things for the characters to read, uh, being able to bring direct manipulatives or puzzles or things that a player can handle um, that represent critical items that obviously can help out with a couple of senses, but being able to see it, understand it, manipulate it, change it around. Um, again, we'll do a future episode about miniatures and things, but I'm sure many of you have heard of things like uh, the impossible puzzles, the brain teasers and little tricky, little tricksy items that a player can see, can manipulate, can twist, can observe, and watching them engage that material for a specified reward can also be a very rewarding experience, uh, I, I think. So, sight. Simple, straightforward, critical, especially when it comes to setting the tone for something a little heavier, a little darker, a little more slow, serene, and intense. You want to gauge the moment, but if you want to have a seafaring adventure and high times and everyone is off into a, a magnificent journey and the mood is high and the words are fast and everyone's just so excited. Bright lights, fun scenes, get outside, experience the wind on your face. It's going to be perfect. Um, so yes. Next uh, is, of course, smell. Smell's very straightforward, uh, but it never hurts to really express just how much that pumpkin spice latte candle can go to helping or hurting whatever mood you're trying to engage. When it comes to smell, uh, this is something that I would recommend that you be considerate of. Uh, when it came to the seafaring adventure, um, we of course had the smell of the great outdoors while we would be outside and we would have this brilliant breeze and the grass blowing in through and it was just great. Um, but in the event that you can't do that sort of thing, uh, there are candles for any and all occasions, and a candle is never as expensive as it sounds, but a candle is incredibly effective. If we're going through the woods, and I cannot emphasize this enough, if you have a party that's going through the woods, and you burn a candle that reeks of the woods, it smells of mahogany, oak, your grandfather's rocking chair, that's going to engage people at a visceral level. It is to the core of a human being. What it smells is what it believes. And I think setting a mood with something like that 
can be so potent. If you can't go outside and feel this, feel the fresh wind and smell uh, fresh water or just nature at large to engage that feeling, then it never hurts to have something. Uh, believe it or not, there's actually candles for a more sterile scent. They reek more of a, uh, I guess what I would say almost like a, like a, like a barber's shop. Um, it's just that very clean, sanitized smell, um, very crisp, and one that is certainly something I would consider accompanying of a more uh, traditional oceanic smell. Obviously, you're not going to find a candle for old tuna, but you can certainly find a candle with that fresh, crisp, somewhat sterile scent, uh, and that can really clean a lot of the... Uh, I would say not just clean out the nostrils, but would clean out the lingering impressions inside them. It would free up what the mind can engage in. Because scent at, at a visceral level, um, it really sort of helps the brain dictate good and bad location. Should I go near to something? Should I go farther from something? We follow our nose. At, at some instinctual level, we do. We follow our nose. We associate good and bad experiences with smells. So something that can smell so incredibly enriching to one person, if you got food poisoning from something like, say, fried chicken, and your friend loves fried chicken, and they had cooked some in their house a couple of hours or earlier, that, that smell can just be so engaging to the next person, and it could drive you to sickness, because your brain associates that smell with a horrible thing. So... Being able to purge previous scents and engage at a visceral level a sense of location or a sense of nostalgia or at least a concept of where a person could be or what that person's about to perform in or engage in. It's just so, so simple yet so stunningly effective. So stunningly effective. This also, of course, engages at a visceral level with the food earlier. Um, absolutely. So what you can smell, what you can taste, they're almost hand in hand. Um, so what you bring to the table platter will also be a great establishing factor uh, for that anchored sense of realism and ambiance. So I, I really can't recommend it enough. It's a simple task. It's a simple concept. It's so cheap, but it is immensely effective. And like taste, it's going to happen anyway. You know, there's going to be a smell in the room the same way that you're going to have a party platter for the event. It never hurts to try to shift those in a direction that would benefit the table as a whole. Trust me, it's very, very, very effective and very fun. Finally, I want to get to sound. Sound is, as I mentioned earlier... Uh, the wallpaper to the scene. Sound is the underlying factor that can sort of encapsulate the space and round out the room's walls, even if those rooms are imaginary. Uh, with the right noise at the right time, the players can be wholly and entirely engaged in this beautiful idea of what's going on in front of them. So, of course, an immediate example 
is uh, adventurous music. I can use the pirate campaign immediately. Just Google pirate music, YouTube pirate music. I just, just do it. Just do it right now. Pop on your phone, get on your YouTube, and just real quick, just throw it in there, pirate music. I'd almost guarantee the first 15 hits are all completely different from the other, and it's like three hours of pirate music, seven and a half hours of high seasfaring fun adventure music, like 11 hours, 58 minutes of... I don't remember why uh, Walmart, Target, and all of these places had these immense length CDs with these incredibly specific tones, and often still do, but those CDs, those musical packs exist, and they're free. They're just out there. As long as you have some kind of speaker, it's it's good, y'all. It's out there. If you play online, pop that link to that YouTube uh music set list or whatever it is into that discord and just just have them put it on just trust that they're going to actually do the one thing you tell them to which you know they won't because they never do because they're your players and they hate you uh but just do it anyway and and if they do if they do follow through with you that music is so simple and so engaging uh i can think of one particularly great example and here we go guys this goes back to spooktober uh where dylan in our Starfinder campaign, I and one other player exactly had actually failed a certain save, which had us swept into a nightmare world while we were dreaming. And to his credit, this is one of the coolest things Dylan's ever done. He had a whole mapped out concept completely in his head and on paper, and he would kind of alter the locations of things as we went just to keep them engaging but he never lost track of where everything was and it was very much like a classic adventure you go forward backwards left right you move left you see this you come back this way you can see that thing still in the distance and then we would go forward two rooms and then maybe to the left again and it's like and you can see in the far distance a small burning fleck and it's that reference to that thing from before this was so engaging um, but the whole time that we were going through this nightmare world, trying to figure out what was happening around us, and it was very surreal. There was consistency in what we were seeing, but what we were seeing could be manipulated in bizarre and sudden ways. Um, and the entire time, just softly in the background, just, just these light, dark, scheming tones. They weren't sudden jump scare noises no they were very very subtle but they were always there at just the right tone to make your skin crawl always just intriguing enough that you felt like yes i can go through this giant field but there's probably going to be something in there waiting to bite my legs off um it was just so wonderful to experience that and during this there were candles lit and yes the lights were low and it was very slow talking very engaging rushing for no one because there are a few things scarier than being forced to sit in a threat when you're forced to sit in a threatening situation you don't know where the threat is you don't know where it's going to come from, but you know that it's there, 
You know because the lights are off, because the candle's lit, because the music is crawling on your skin like a thousand termites. And you cannot rush. You have to engage what's in front of you. That remains one of my absolute favorite moments. So engaging. So wonderful. And my friends, uh, Dylan, of course, Bartlett, we still talk about that scene. I still remember it very fondly, and I still recommend situations and circumstances similar to it to many people on a regular basis, specifically because it, it cannot be overstated that, you know, campaigns take place over weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months, and if you're really dedicated... They can take uh, upwards over a year, sometimes two. Um, what's so engaging about all of it is that you don't remember everything you do in every little session. It, it's it's a whole sequence made of memories. Those special moments that really stand out can make or break your entire opinion of a campaign and all of those cherished memories that you have with your friends. Um can be anchored to just even just one or two days you know i've mentioned so many times uh how much i just adored my go against the grain rule breaker campaign adventure with my random rolled halfling fighter all that stuff you've heard it but what i haven't said before is that i can specifically remember every detail of about three days of that entire campaign but those three days so quintessentially like quintessentially defined my character, that campaign, my approach, everything, and like the scenes that were engaged there were just so on point. And how the mood was set and how the tone was set are so critical to those days in that campaign. I can still remember that it was 638 that night, on a Sunday, when I made the decision to roll away from the party, and we were at the park, and I can just remember that sense of the wind and the hot summer air. It was just so liberating for both my character and myself um, when I broke from them and moved to a whole new direction. And it was so just so engaging. I can think of the envelopes and the letters that we made. I can think of the lantern journeys. I can think of the numerous times where we would gather and we would make hardtack. We would make um, pastas or chickens or um, steaks, vegetables, whatever we were cooking to engross the party that day. I can remember uh, mood lighting, ambient music. I can remember... Jum Jum Chip Chip having soft spy tones playing on my phone while I came up with this insane scheme for my human-faced dog to blow up half of a navy. Like, it's so silly, but it's so fresh, and it's so cherished. And they're memories that I'll have for a lifetime. And those memories can anchor themselves to those senses. And I cannot, cannot, cannot recommend enough that you just sort of think about these little things because it doesn't take a lot of money. It really doesn't. Craft projects can be 5 to $15 per player. 
food is a weekly thing anyway. You just change what you purchase if you can afford to. Um, when it comes to things like sight and sound, half the time those things can be done with printer paper or completely for free. You can just play something off of your phone and engage it at a nice auditory level. Um, there, there's just so much that I would really recommend uh, a person consider for their campaign. And if it sounds neat or interesting to you and you're not a DM or anything like that, don't be afraid to approach people like that. Don't be afraid to even approach and just say, hey, could we have a day of this? And you make a concerted effort. You get with your people and you get the idea for your characters together. You're going to have this, like, you're going to have this audacious, delightful confrontation slash dinner in a very high etiquette situation uh, with a governor or official and you make the fun food and you make the fun treats and you play the fun music and you all come uh maybe you wear nice clothes for the occasion uh you eat finer foods off of a nice like off of actual silverware or and nice plating and all of that sort of thing just have some just just really engage at that level um even if it's just for one event even if you have to ask the dm or your uh, fellow players that you just this hey this is an event I think it would be interesting I want to set it up I think even if you just did that one day that one day could be the day you think of every time you think about that campaign going forward so engaging at so many levels beyond just what's going on in your imagination can anchor so many fantastic memories for your own futures as players and friends and guys i just i really can't recommend it enough i uh i really can't so that's everything i have to say uh i think that i do want to go ahead and plug that facebook d20 dudes we are absolutely out there uh hit us up y'all we're still fun we promise and it looks like it is time to roll that die Unfortunately, I did not grab mine out of my closet, so I'm going to use my Dice Roller app. Oh my god, excuse me, that was a horrible burp. I'm so sorry. Whew. And it looks like next week's episode will be number... Ooh, 16. 16. Got a new job today. Oh, I don't remember the soundtrack, actually. I don't remember. Does anybody remember that show, 16? I don't, I'm sorry. Okay. So, let's see. Topic 16 is... Okay. Topic 16 is... Icebreakers. How to get the adventure started. That'll be super interesting. I think that's an incredibly important topic because there is... Literally nothing more awkward or tone-setting than, Hi, how are you? Want to slay stuff together? That's like a super difficult thing to actually engage in. So that will actually be El Perfecto. Very excited for next week. Uh, until then, I'm Paul. And I'm Julie. And we love you all. See you next week.